Welcome to Humans in History, the bite-sized birthday biography podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a daily podcast which shines a spotlight on a person born on this day at some point in history somewhere in the world who made a positive lasting impact. Today, October 15th, we're going to celebrate the birth and life of Willie O'Ree, who was born on this day in 1935. He is 85 years old today. Happy birthday, Willie. So today's human in history is actually my first person who was suggested to me. My husband, Boris, who is an avid player and a avid fan of hockey, nominated Willie O'Ree, and I'm so glad that he did. Willie's story kind of reminds me of Moses Fleetwood Walker, who we learned about on October 7th. They both broke the color barrier in their respective sports. And I hate that term because it makes it sound like being black is a barrier. Just so we're clear, being black is not a barrier. The barriers they had to overcome were systemic racism and rampant prejudice. Those are the barriers. So both Moses and Willie came from modest roots. They both had to endure brutal abuse and harassment on and off the field or rink. And they both were somewhat forgotten after their athletic careers. Moses had to deliver mail to survive, and Willie sold cars and worked at fast food restaurants. Moses's accomplishment of being the first openly black man to play Major League Baseball wasn't properly recognized until long after his death. Thankfully, Willie's groundbreaking feat um, has finally started to be really appreciated during the last few years. There is a documentary on Willie's life that came out last year called Willie. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's really good. And Willie was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2018. When I watched the documentary, I noticed that Willie kept being compared to Jackie Robinson. One of his nicknames was the Jackie Robinson of hockey. And Jackie Robinson was an icon, but like I mentioned, if you turned into our October 7th podcast, you would have heard me explain how Jackie Robinson was not actually the first man of color to play in the MLB. That honor falls to Moses Fleetwood Walker, who played his first MLB game on May 1st, 1884, over 60 years before Jackie Robinson did the same thing. There was one guy that subbed in one Major League Baseball game prior to Moses, but he was passing as white, and it was only discovered afterwards that he was of mixed ancestry. Moses was the first openly black, no way he could pass as white, man to play in Major League Baseball. So Willie and Jackie. Willie and Jackie actually met at a Brooklyn baseball game in 1949 uh, that Willie went to when he was 14. He was playing youth hockey at the time, as well as baseball, and he told Jackie that he wanted to play pro hockey. And Jackie expressed surprise that there were men of color playing hockey. And their paths would end up crossing again in 1962, four years after Willie started his NHL career. And Jackie actually remembered him from that meeting back in 1949. So Willie was the youngest of 13 children born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada to Harry and Rosebud O'Ree. While much of Willie's ancestry has been lost, that the same way so many enslaved humans' history has been lost, he knows of one ancestor named Paris who was given as a gift from Elias O'Ree to his son James O'Ree in the 1790s. Paris managed to escape his enslavers at the age of 19, running away during the chaos of the Revolutionary War. Willie grew up in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. His family was one of only two black families on the street. And his playmates were primarily white, which he recalls as never really being a major issue when he was a kid. And while Canada was obviously not impervious to racism, it was not at all like the KKK cesspool that much of the American South was becoming at that time. 
There was only one barber shop in his town at the time, and it had been a whites-only establishment for as long as Willie could remember. As a teen, he had his hair cut by one of the barbers in his garage. And one day, uh, Willie says, I wonder what would happen if I went to your barber shop for a haircut. And the barber said, well, give it a try and see what happens. And the next time Willie needed a haircut, he walked into the barber shop. And he recalled that people kind of looked around at each other, but no one was like openly hostile to him. And soon after, the policy was changed to allow men of any race in for haircuts. I mean, imagine if he did that in Missouri in 1950. So Willie's mom, Rosebud, she was a very well-known, very well-respected woman in the community. She was a devoted mother, full-time stay-at-home mom. And God, you'd have to be with 13 kids. Wow. So Dad Harry worked as an engineer for the city, and he managed to support all of his children's many activities, including the eight sports that Willie would play in his youth. Willie's childhood was taken up with a lot of street and ice hockey with his buddies, but he also played baseball incredibly well. He played rugby. He played golf. Just all-around very athletic kid. He played hockey in high school, but he was kicked off the team after one of his shots shattered the collarbone of the coach's son. When he was 14, he promised himself two things, that he would play pro hockey and that he would one day play in the NHL. There were already men of color at that time playing hockey, um, pro, but they weren't actually in the NHL. Willie recalls being enamored of a hockey player named Herbert Carnegie, who would have absolutely beat Willie into the NHL had the organization not had such a racist barbed wire fence around it. Willie would often spend the night at the rink so he could be the first one on the fresh ice in the morning, calling himself a rink rat. In 1955, while playing in the junior league, he was struck in his right eye with a puck. No one wore cages or helmets really back then, and his right retina was shattered, rendering him totally blind in that eye for the rest of his life. Knowing that his parents would make him quit hockey if he told them this, he never told anyone for the remainder of his career, except for a sister much later in life who he swore to secrecy. So just bear in mind, everything this guy is going to accomplish from here on out, both on the ring and off, he's doing with one non-functioning eye. After his injury, the doctor actually told him that he would never play hockey again, but he was back on the ice in three weeks. In uh, 1956, his baseball skills were such that he was invited to go to the South to try out to play pro ball. His parents were obviously terrified at the thought of their black child going by himself to the American South. And this was in 1956, less than a year after Emmett Till had been murdered down there. So Willie went, um, but he had to deal with white-only hotels and white-only restrooms for the very first time. And while he was there, he obviously heard every racial slur and every type of verbal abuse in the book before he was sent home during the second week of tryouts. He said that he pretended that he was sad, but he was actually really happy to go back to Canada. Who can blame him? On the five-day return trip, he had to ride in the back of the bus, and this was a first for him, as in Canada, all Black people could sit anywhere they wanted in public transportation. The closer the bus got to Canada, the closer to the front of the bus he was allowed to move up. By the time he got home, he was in the front seat. This was the end of his baseball career, and he chose to focus on hockey. He began playing with the Quebec Aces, which was a pro team, but not an NHL team. The owner of the Aces, though, ended up being contacted by the Boston Bruins with a request. They wanted Willie. 
Willie accepted their offer, and on January 18, 1958, Willie stepped onto the ice as a Boston Bruins player, shattering the color barrier in the NHL. But if history has shown us anything, it's that just because a person breaks a glass ceiling or an ice floor, it hardly ever means that everyone falls in line with showing them respect and civility. Willie had to deal with every conceivable insult being thrown at him, from rival teams and their managers to the audience. He was called the N-word. He was told to go back to picking cotton. He was told to get out of a white man's game. Just you, you name it, he was called it. In 1961, an idiot named Eric Nesterenko, who was on the Chicago Blackhawks, assaulted Willie purposely during a game. Uh, Eric first came up and struck Willie across the legs with his stick. Then he smashed the handle of his stick into Willie's face, ripping open his lip and his nose and knocking out his two front teeth. Remember, back then, no one's wearing helmets or cages. As Willie stood there, like bleeding and in shock, Eric Nestorenko just laughed. So both benches empty out and the two teams just start an all-out brawl on the ice. Both Willie and Nestorenko were removed from the game. Willie was sent to the locker room to be stitched up. And when he was done, he asked to finish the game sitting on the bench with his teammates. He was told the energy was too volatile for him to return and that someone else may try to attack him. So Willie, the victim of a brutal racial assault, was forced to sit in the locker room for the remainder of the game, the exact same punishment that Nestorenko received for actually assaulting him. Willie said that at that moment, he realized he had a crucial decision to make. Either this would be the end of his career and he would quit, or he'd make it a point to stick it out no matter what. Due to the timing of this assault and the growing civil rights movement, it became a larger racial incident and it helped fuel conversation about discrimination in pro sports. Willie would go on to play pro hockey for 21 years. After the Boston Bruins, he was traded to the Montreal Canadiens, then to the LA Blades, and finally the San Diego Gulls. He retired in 1980, setting up house with his wife, Delgite, and their daughter in San Diego. So one false assumption that I always believed until my husband Boris cleared it up was that all pro athletes retire with a fat bank account and are able to live in luxury the remainder of their days. This is obviously true for some athletes, but apparently not for all. After Willie retired in 1980, he still had to support himself and his family, so he took any job he could get. He sold cars. He was the manager at a jack-in-the-box. He worked security at the Hotel Del Coronado. Willie had been largely forgotten by the hockey community. His major accomplishment had never officially been recognized. Finally, in 1998, he was made the NHL's diversity ambassador, which he still is today. He travels around North America talking to and working with kids to promote inclusivity in the sport. In 2017 and 2018, some of his childhood friends started a letter-writing campaign to get him inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. How this hadn't been done before is mind-boggling, but it was successful, and in 2018, Willie was officially added to the Hockey Hall of Fame. What Willie did was so important, but hockey still has a very long way to go in terms of being an inclusive sport. The NHL doesn't keep records on their players' ethnicity, but according to a 2019 report by USA Today, 97% of the NHL is white. Out of the 3% of non-white players, 26 are black, and 20 of these are from Canada and the remaining 6 are African-American. 
And it's not like junior league hockey is any more accessible for inner city kids or children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Hockey is a sport of elitism. The gear, the traveling, it costs a ton of money to play. It can cost up to $4,000 a season. An ESPN writer named Stephen Wolf figured that in the decade that his daughter played youth hockey, he spent over $50,000. So, Like I said, what Willie did was important, but there is so much work to be done for pro hockey to become a truly inclusive sport and for hockey as a game to be truly accessible for children from all backgrounds. My sources today were Wikipedia, The Undefeated, The Hockey Hall of Fame, and The Willie Documentary. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to a totally homemade bootstrap podcast like this one. And if you're feeling social, you can follow Humans in History on Instagram at humans underscore in underscore history. This is also where you can nominate people to be on the show. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Willie O'Ree. Please join me tomorrow when we celebrate the birth and life of abolitionist, feminist, and the first black woman to complete a four-year college degree, Lucy Stanton. See you then. See you then.